Hello, and welcome to the first episode of Speaking Broadly, a business podcast from the home of Broadly Speaking. My name's Tom Screech, and I'm joined by my budding co-host today, Giuseppe. In our first episode, we want to set some foundations down and go through the story of Broadly Speaking as we are celebrating our 21st birthday this year. So let's go back to 1997. The Titanic had just hit cinemas. Scientists had just cloned Dolly the sheep and I was just about to turn two. But our guests today were just about to embark on a huge journey that would establish something that would last decades. We are joined today by our founders and directors, Hilary Broadley and David Conn. Hello to both of you. Hello. Hello. So before we talk about some of the key insights from a long career of sales, I want to focus on you two personally. What did you both do before you started the company? So um, I worked in media sales and advertising sales in London for many years before starting Broadly Speaking. After graduating from university, I didn't know what to do with myself, so I applied for a job that said earn £8,000 in your first year. And in 1983, £8,000 was quite a lot of money, believe it or not. Um, But anyway, I I basically started and learned my trade selling advertising space and was very fortunate to be trained very well at doing that. Nice. And um, did that for about uh, 10 years before 10 15 years before coming down and setting up broadly speaking wow well, what about you, David? Well, a uh, similar sort of background, although uh, Hillary and I are at university together. Uh, we both studied history. After a history degree, difficult to know what to do. Uh, so I had a very brief flirtation with the legal profession. Uh, and after a year, I decided I wasn't going to be a lawyer. So I also uh, found my way into advertising sales. And uh, after that... Uh, EMAP, who I was working for at the time, who are a big publishing success story in the 80s, uh, they launched uh, an exhibition division. So I got into the heady world of international trade shows. So, of course, we sit here on the 21st birthday of Broadly speaking, as Giuseppe has just said. If you can take us back to 1997, where were you when the idea popped into your head? Basically, <laughs> um, David and I had moved to Devon. David came down to run another business, um, and I took a break from my career as a sales director in London um, and wanted to take a little bit of time out with the kids but that only lasted three or four months before I started to get a little bit restless (laughs) Um, and a colleague that we'd worked with in London asked me to start um, to help him out selling um, sponsorship on the London boat show actually and so I took on that project working from home from my spare bedroom and um, really enjoyed doing that it went very well and then somebody else came along and offered me some other work in uh, lead generation and appointment setting and before you know it I had too much for me to do and I started to think that there might be an opportunity here so um, really it was sitting at home in my spare bedroom um, making cold calls and um, selling uh, appointments um, which kicked it all off and and gradually I think sometimes the best things in life come along a bit of a surprise and you just take the opportunity and um, really I just began to realise that there was more than enough for me to do and probably a couple of other people. I recruited a couple of other um, mums who wanted to return to work having had children much as I did and um, the rest as they say is history but I'm sure we'll cover some of that definitely definitely well that leads on to the next question was sort of to to both of you what are your greatest memories of the last 21 years what things stand out and, and really quite make you proud well I've got one from that time actually so I, I joined, Hillary started the business and I, I came along a little bit later 
Um, uh, but uh, as Hillary said, she she worked from home, and she started on the London Boat Show. I, Hillary and I had worked together before, and I always uh, had a um, uh, her renown uh, for salesmanship was uh, well deserved. <laughs> And I used to hear her every day on the phone. But I came home one day, uh, and it was a bit late in the morning, nearer lunchtime. And uh, I was coming up the stairs towards the study, and Hillary was on the, on the phone. And she had booked a major sponsor for the London Boat Show, which was a, a credit card company. And what I stumbled across was that the credit card company had called in and tried to cancel very late on this uh, this sponsorship deal. And I heard Hillary uh, completely turn this around wow. from an incoming call saying, we, we have to pull out, blah, 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 to, and, uh, to turning it back into and reselling them in, wow. and, which took about uh, 25 minutes. And I just sat at the top of the stairs and listened to this sales wizardry and just thought, that is amazing. And if we can do this, if Hillary can do this for other people, this is a heck of a business. Wow. Well, I had no idea that he was sitting outside the door. <laughs> Probably would have gone horribly wrong if I had. Um, but I mean, my there's so many great memories, actually, from starting the business up, as I say, from home to moving into our first office, which was a very damp, tiny um, one room office in town uh, for which we paid a pound a day. And it was hardly worth that, wow. I have to say. But it was one of those um, enterprise centers where you pay very little rent just to test out a new business idea. Um, but we had a great time and and a lot of it was about working together as a team and as we built our team we used to take them away for um, end of year celebrations and events and in the time of cheap flights um, and low cost hotels and things we we took the team which was about 15 of us at the time we went to Budapest for a weekend where we presented our end of year awards and had a great and very cost effective um, weekend together but fantastic memories of um, us as a team so it was a lot of work hard play hard in the early days I think and and we had two young children then as well but it was a balancing act um, uh, which it always is I guess when you start a business up so that was a great memory and one other one I've got is um, we won a very big piece of business or we were pitching for a big piece of business with AIG um, many many years ago now and um, at that time there was about five of us in the office and somebody had recommended us to AIG and we were still working in a very basic office in Tavistock we didn't even have a proper phone system at the time um, we all just used independent individual BT phone lines. So nothing was really connected and it was all a bit basic. But I found myself sitting in the head office of AIG in Fenchurch Street wow. in London, overlooking the Thames in this huge boardroom with um, the general manager of AIG saying, if you can fix my lead generation problem, I'll pay you lots of money. Um, which actually, to be fair, they, they did. <laughs> so we worked very successfully with them for many years. and um, But it was weird because I was sitting there thinking how on earth have I ended up here doing this um, so it's great fun and that's that's the great thing about this job I think you never know what's coming up next yeah completely agree um, we, 
we hear from many sides today that uh, um, the telephone is dead as a business tool, that cold calling is dead, especially in B2B. Um, whereas what you're saying and even the, the results that, broadly speaking, is, is getting seem to prove the contrary. So how can cold calling be still effective in the 21st century B2B scene? The, you know, people have a, have a misunderstanding about cold calling. And, you know, there is an argument to say that the huge call centre cold calling, um, well, I would argue that it's never been particularly valid as a regime. Um, and, and it's increasingly less valid now. Um, there may be a place for it. We just don't recognise where that is. Um, but well, as I described what Hillary was doing, we knew that, you know, and we knew when we were at EMAP and at Blenheim and the, when I was doing exhibitions, you know, if you were had a professional skill about using the telephone as a business tool and not as an engine to pump out calls with a script, then that was very, very powerful. And we are in the changing mind business so you know when we call people um they don't know they're not expecting our call generally uh they don't know us they've never spoken to us first time and they may or may not have heard of the company we're talking on behalf of and so we have to get them from that position and actually the other thing they have in they have in common is that uh, in inverted commas, they already have one. So if you know, if for instance, you know, we're talking to them about I don't know, food service. Now, if you've got an office with 500 people, it's very likely that either you are delivering food yourself, or you've got an, an outsourced partner doing it, probably moderately competently. So our job is to take them from that position where they don't understand they have a need and weren't thinking about having a need or re-evaluating what they were doing and turn them around from that into a sales opportunity. And that is a very distinct set of skills that that makes that happen. So I would say, you know, we are dealing with individuals and we're dealing with, you know, we call them decision makers. We, 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 we are dealing with individuals and, and, you know, when I used to work in the IT industry, uh, it was hardware, software and wetware, wetware being people. And, and the fact is uh, they are living, breathing and thinking beings. And the most powerful way you can get people to change their mind, which I think um, it was Carnegie's um, quote, is they've, you've, they've got to change it themselves. Yeah. Now they will. If you present the facts and lay out the facts properly, then they will come to the right conclusions by their by their, using their own brains. So I guess what David's saying is, I mean, cold calling is a term, isn't it? Which which lots turns lots of people off. But basically, our job is to influence people on behalf of our clients. We have to identify um, a need or a pain point. We have to discuss with them and illustrate to them how our client's um, product or service can meet that need or cure that pain um, and in this day and age as you say Giuseppe there's lots of um, stuff on LinkedIn for example about cold calling is dead or emailing is the way ahead or social media is the answer to prospecting of course the 
answer is in in you know in 21st century sales is that it's a mixture of all of those yeah. things mm-hmm. um, and David's right in saying that you know we believe that the most effective way of influencing people is in is in conversation and two-way discussion and debate and actually in this day and age when people are inundated with emails and Twitter and goodness knows what else which of course we all use to some extent I find and I listen to many calls all the time because I'm listening to my team's calls and I'm listening to them on the phone and I'm hearing how they sell and and I can hear senior decision makers engaging with my team on the phone every day um, and actually they're quite they quite like the opportunity to do that because they get less opportunity to discuss their needs their challenges their problems and when they get to speak to someone who they can have an intelligent conversation with about issues in their market sector or about their um, business objectives and um, the needs you know that they have currently and how we can help them solve them then actually it's a breath of fresh air so I think you know cold calling for want of a better word engaging with people on the telephone is is certainly not dead and in fact is having quite a moment at the moment yeah and, and speaking about the moment if we were to fast forward to, to 2018 now I mean we work with some of the biggest B2B brands in the world um, I wrote down here we sit in a sunny office but outside at the moment it's a bit drizzly spring did come for, for, for a couple minutes and yep. now it's gone off again um, you know in, in a beautiful market town in Devon with, with a buzzing workforce what's the one thing that keeps you know both of you coming in every day and, and just get on with it um, well, I, I think actually for me, it's a number of things, but, but one is, you know, this is obviously a business that I've put, well, the last 21 years of my <laughs> life into. Um, and so, you know, um, for me, it's a very personal thing. I want to make a difference and I want to leave, um, to me, uh, recognition of, of my contribution and, and of what the business can do and client feedback and recognition is incredibly important because that's what I thrive on. I love making a difference. But I also love working with, you've mentioned the team, Tom. Yeah. You know, obviously over 21 years, we have had many, many people and we've worked with many, many great people in our, on our team. Lots of young graduates who've gone on to great things, lots of women returning um, to work, uh, having had children and so on. And to see them really thrive and love what they do and also discover skills that they never knew they had. Um, And sales, you know, is a really, really tough environment, as we all know. To do it well is tough. You have tough days. But I take great inspiration from the people I work with and seeing what they can do and achieve um, and what we, you know, what we achieve together. So for me, it it really is just feeling that, that we're making a difference and, you know, that this is a business that... I, along with my colleagues here, have, have built, and that's hugely rewarding. Brilliant. What about you, David? Um, I would have to say variety, actually. So I think okay. um, we work across almost every B2B business sector, and uh, working with clients, helping them solve problems in their particular market or their particular sector or their particular product or service... Uh, is dealing with something new every day. So we can be dealing with um, a major electronic international electronics company uh, trying to break in and help them break into a new European market in the morning. 
and then be talking to a medium-sized SME and helping them solve a, a very more basic, in a way, but almost more important to them, sales problem. Mm. So um, that's the challenge. That's the fun. And it's getting your head around different markets all the time. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I mean, I've been calling Dubai in the morning and then uh, Scunthorpe in the afternoon. So it's been very interesting. Could you sort of, you know, pin down one game-changing conversation you've had over your vast history with with a business that that got you from startup to where you are now? Okay, uh, I, I can. I'll, I'll go first on this one. I, I've got one or two actually, but I'll, I will talk to. Uh, I'll talk about one in particular, and I, I think this is a problem that many small businesses, as we were then, face. Uh, certainly, own and manage small businesses face. And uh, when I came on board, Hillary had been running the business for two and a half, three years. And it was clear that there was a big opportunity there. Okay. And I was coming in, coming from being an MD of, an, of, of an, someone else's business. And so uh, I, and I was always interested in what Hillary was doing, could see it, and gave her support and all that kind of stuff. But I didn't want to come and, you know, put in my two pennies at that time so but when I came on board and took a closer look at the business it was clear to me that for what we were offering and what we were delivering and the impact we were having on businesses we weren't charging enough really Okay. And um, and the formative conversation with us was that was an MD of uh, a customer of ours, and we had helped him and his brother uh, go from a moderately small business to a business they eventually actually sold for many many millions of pounds wow. to a Swiss conglomerate. Wow. Uh, but uh, going along that route with them, he, uh, Mike said to us, uh, said to Hillary, more tellingly, and this is perhaps a typical husband and wife moment, <laughs> uh, when I'd been saying you ought to put your price up, and Mike actually said to Hillary, uh, Hillary, I really better not say this, shouldn't really say this, but you're not recharging really enough. Wow. So, um, and and that was a really formative moment. And I think pricing, We, funny enough, we, we now work with one of the world's leading pricing experts. What is interesting um, is that price, people often, so often get it wrong. Yeah. And, my, you know, if I was running, if I was te- working with someone running a small business on a more general management terms, you know, quite often what we see is is pricing is they undervalue their self-worth you know they they Mm. undervalue their worth uh, in terms of supplying a product or service so that was that I think that was a a key a key conversation yeah I I think the the pricing thing comes from people not wanting to uh, annoy their clients by by charging them too much so you price yourself yeah I think think you you always worry yeah Mm. but you yeah it's confidence I think you worry that you're not worth what you're worth and you are always usually the last people to see that and you have you know i think it's very typical for especially small business owners or people starting out and we certainly had this 
was that you know you think that if you're going to put if you put your price up everyone's going to go away mm. and everyone's going to stop working with you of course in fact most people especially if you are if you are really undervaluing your service most people are thinking why on earth aren't they charging more um, but usually they're not going to be like Mike our friendly MD who told us this <laughs> you know that they're going to keep quiet but um, it is about as we all know it's about adding it's not about just selling on price plus it's about selling on value and what is the real value and we were uncovering you know huge highly high value opportunities for him um, and at the time we were charging very little because I worked from home in my bedroom spare bedroom and I thought well you know there's only so much I can charge it's yeah. only me yeah. and I'm only working from home in my bedroom but that doesn't matter I was delivering him opportunities that were worth yeah. hundreds of thousands of pounds yeah. and now he's living in the Bahamas yeah <laughs> so very nice very anyway nice. Uh, yeah so it's very interesting but there's there's been lots of sort of moments like that I think and, and I, I, I can think of one where um, well when was it eight or nine years ago now but with a key client of ours they were a key client then yeah. but, but since then they've gone on to be a much bigger client a, a global client in fact but you know we had a, I had a conversation with um, my main contact at that client company eight or nine years ago and um, he was thinking he was going through uh, their business was going through a lot of change and he was um, getting uh, uh, or having a lot of thoughts about what he should be doing with lead generation and which direction he should be going in and we'd been working together for four or five years already and I think he was just feeling a little bit uh, like maybe he needed to change maybe to change things up a bit um, and one day again a bit like David saying about the never say die attitude and I think this really is very important you have to have a lot of self-belief in business and you have to have a lot of stamina and the, the determination to keep going and anyway this client we had a we had a conversation and, and really he was thinking look I'm thinking of moving elsewhere you've done yeah. a great job but you know maybe after four or five years it's time for a change and you know you can sometimes understand why people think that and, and obviously as we all know with clients that we want to retain over many many years you have to work very hard to do that but I felt incredibly strongly that that would be a wrong move for him and I think this is obviously you may say I would say that but actually you know I think it's really important in sales that you really believe with a passion and conviction about your product or service and I knew I absolutely knew that he could not get a better service anywhere else but at that point I thought I really half of me thought shall I just give in and say okay what can I do let him go or shall I you know dig in and and push back and fight and and I decided just to fight and um I just you know pushed back as hard as I could and we carried on then having conversations about it and ultimately he decided to stay with broadly speaking and we're still working together today Good. but that is a you know that's what again one of those moments which for me was a, a huge turning point in the business and the consequences of that conversation are still resonating today so you're really glad you had it but I know um, it took all of my experience and will at the time to persevere when I think yeah. a younger mm. me might have given up <laughs> mm. Mm. perhaps that's just what they wanted to see that maybe four or five Absolutely. years working with them you yes. still have the passion and the commitment yes. to deliver value for them you're, and you're quite ready right to fight for it i yeah. think you're right giuseppe and and yeah. you face those sorts of tests all the time mm. absolutely yeah. brilliant so sort of going on you know about the topic of, of passion how do you keep the sales team that we've got here motivated how, and you know how do you keep them constantly delivering and, and delivering the appointments that we deliver well that is a good question and that is 
that is absolutely key to what we do here. And obviously, I can, I'm can. i sure you can imagine, and both Giuseppe and Tom work as part of the sales team, so I better be careful we how do, I yeah. answer this. <laughs> um, but to me, you know, the, our team is our business. So, yeah. you know, um, that's what our clients are buying. They're buying our team skill and expertise and also attitude. So it's absolutely critical. Um, and, you know, motivation is a big thing, isn't it? And you can earn a lot of money speaking on motivation and teaching on yeah. it. But... For me, as a, as a leader, I think it's all about um, working with your team and making your team, you know, having a shared purpose, having a, a shared goal and uh, leading from the front. So for me, it's really critical that we work together, that um, we try to find out what's important to each of our team and support them in achieving their day-to-day goals, but also their bigger goals. We, yeah. we, we spend a huge amount of time... And we invest a lot in developing every individual member of our team and trying to make sure that they have um, a sense of belonging, a sense of purpose, but also that we're giving them the skills um, to do well and to build a platform for their whole career. I, of course, would hope that everyone would stay with us forever, but of course that's not always the way. Some people, especially if they're young, want to move on at some point. I want to just make sure that they enjoy their time with us while they're here, that they get a huge amount out of it, and the more they're getting out of it, the more I think they're going to put in. So I absolutely don't, you know, there's some managing directors I meet who say, you know, why do you invest in your team? They're all going to leave eventually. Mm. You spend a fortune on training and people just take it with them and leave. If they do, they do, but I don't believe in that. I believe in the fact that, you know, whilst we have someone with us, we want them to deliver and be the best they possibly can be. Yeah, and it does feel like like a family, which is, you know, something that does keep you motivated throughout your day. I mean, it's not easy, and this is a really, really tough job, you know, so you've got to make it an environment in which people enjoy coming to work. And sometimes you have to have a difficult conversation with, with, you know, we all have times when we we lack inspiration maybe or lack drive and and so you know you've got to look for people have got to per, have a personal drive as well i think yeah. you know um i i expect we'll talk about it later but you know there, there is a certain type of person that makes a good salesperson i think and, and you've got to have that yourself as well i can't take responsibility for everyone's motivation <laughs> all the time no it's it's just also the question of um, um Supporting your team, but not being too prescriptive, mm. I think, just, um, you know, so that, that the if people in the team feel that they are able to shape their own campaign and that, yeah. and that gives them lots of confidence yeah. and also makes them feel important, which is an extra motivation. Yeah, when I started, I knew what motivated me. And of course, that's not necessarily the same for everyone else. And you can't make that assumption. But this is the sort of business which is obviously built largely in, in, in you know, the way I feel because it's my business so it it can't help but be so but basically I think you you've got to you know I want to have ownership I want to feel that I have some my own responsibilities that I can shape what I do um, and um, I have the opportunity to grow so that's what we try to give everybody here well Hilary I actually think that's a great place to stop for part one check back in for part two where we answer questions like what's better leadership or management and we listen to the rest of Hilary and David's incredible journey here but broadly speaking see you then